Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. And my guest today is Tyler Mayoris. He's the CEO of Cool Beans. Now, after nearly two decades investing in agriculture and food brands, Tyler had seen the dark side of the American food industry firsthand. After learning about the negative impact of animal agriculture on the environment, he began a journey towards plant-based eating. Tyler co-founded Cool Beans in 2018 with a few other like-minded investors. Now, during the next 18th group developed the products, set up manufacturing and trademarked the name before launching the product in the second quarter of 2020. The company started with three globally inspired wraps that put fiber-rich bean-based superfoods front and center, and they're currently available in more than 800 stores. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Thank you, Katrina. Very exciting to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to speaking with you because uh, you are you're quite unique in terms of your background because you've had a couple of decades um, in investing and impact investing, and now you've kind of moved to CEO, which is quite interesting because you know being an impact investor, you could probably just you know invest in other companies, maybe you know chill out a little bit, but to actually start a business that's you know quite quite full on. So, well, first of all, though, I just would love you to address what interesting or crazy. I'm not sure which. Yeah, they're probably both sides of the same coin. Um, Tell us about some of these dark undersides of the American food industry um, that you've seen firsthand. Yeah, it's uh, so I so I was investing for a long period of time. And obviously, I've traveled through every kind of slaughterhouse you can imagine. So there's certainly that side of it, which is very ugly. And um, but surprising, having been through a lot of those, and they're they're pretty horrendous and, and make you not want to eat those products. But it didn't really affect me going completely vegan until I think I learned about the climate impacts, which was probably around 2016. And, and it, it's quite staggering to, to think that 16 to 19% of all greenhouse gases are caused by animal agriculture. And what, what you don't realize, you know, it, when you drive by all the cornfields and the soybean fields in the middle of the country in the United States, I always thought that was fed to humans. And I thought they were growing food. That's where our food came from. The reality is 65% of that cropland and, and farmland is used to feed animals. So, and it's monoculture. And that's really one of the big issues is it's just, they, they plant corn and soybean every year, you know, usually corn, that's, that's the predominant amount. And so when you plant the same thing over and over, you're killing the soil because you're not putting, it needs a lot of different plants to put nutrients back into the soil. And as a result, we've got dead soil that then also had chemicals thrown over it. Um, they use a lot of chemicals in that, into that, that space. And so uh, we, they, every year they have to put NPK on, which is nitrogen, potassium, and, and phosphorus. And two of those um, ingredients, fertilizers, they, they mine, which is a very carbon intensive process. And the other is liquid nitrogen. And that one, they basically heat up air to a very high temperature using fossil fuels 
and that creates a chemical reaction that creates liquid nitrogen. So it's all these inputs that go to make the grow the animals that really cause this huge carbon footprint. And when I heard that, I just I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I, and that's really what led me down the road to go vegan. Um, but you know, throughout that whole process, I was learning about monoculture and learning about the, the the chemicals and and all these different things. Just said this system is broken. We've got to fix it. And one of the easiest ways to fix it is to go plant based and get away from a lot of things that cause these problems. Nice. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's not, I always find it interesting what, what people's journey towards vegan is, whether it, for me it was the animals, for yourself it was interesting, even though going in the slaughterhouse, it, it didn't even turn you vegan. I think that's that's just interesting as a side note, I think, for anyone doing animal activism is that you've got to kind of get people where they are. So I think it's interesting that it was the environment for you. So thank you very yeah. much for, for sharing that. Now, some of your investments, you've got some um, massive achievements. You, it, you've you helped um, Boca Burger, which is Kraft Heinz Veggie Burger, um, go from $7 million to a $50 million in revenue over just three and a half years. You've helped Simple Mills explode their business into over 20,000 stores. Can you tell us a bit, how did you do that? Because that's quite you know, quite a major, major achievements. Can you tell us a little bit about how you, how you did that? Yeah. And I just want to clarify, I was with, with Boca Burger, I was a private equity investor. So involved, actively involved in the company, but um, with, with Simple Mills, I was an angel investor. So less actively involved, but I've known Caitlin for a long time and, and um, we exchanged notes and whatnot, but she, She's uh, she's an amazing um, CEO, and, and I think she's 32 now or something like that. Still one, of, but one of the best CEOs that's ever been in my portfolio. She's very very smart. Nice. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, you know the CPG world in, in particular is is very interesting and different than most other play most other investment areas. Um, it's it's very regimented and defined about how you go about things and. And there's a there's a control growth strategy, or there's a you know a, a throw a lot of dollars into the mix and and grow fast. And that tended to be the way we grew Boca Burger, which was we had some big partners with us. Austin Ventures was a big partner, and they had a lot of capital. and And we were sitting at the right time, at the right place at the right time. So at that point in time, was kind of the second wave of veganism that was going on, or plant based eating all around things like garden burger and whatnot, because people were learning about the fat content um, and that fat was really bad for you. And so um, a lot of people were trying to basically shift their diet one or two days a week. And so garden burger was doing things like the Super Bowl ad and all boats were rising together. And we were doing some advertising at Boca Burger. And we were lucky enough at the time to be the, the, the burger that tasted the most like a real burger. So flexitarians would, would try it. Nothing like Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger and what they have done now. But um, at the time, it was certainly the one that tasted the most like meat. And so that really helped us. Right. So when in order to get to grow that kind of turnover, like and you obviously said you were you were investing and, and you were also, you know, advising, what's the biggest spend? Like is it marketing and advertising that you need to kind of get those revenues up there? I'm just kind of curious, you know, because obviously, you know, I think a lot of people listening would love to go from, you know, seven mil to fifty mil. But what do right. you actually need to invest in to to make that happen? Uh, so it depends on whether you make your product or not. In the case of Boga Burger, we did make the product. So it was being made down in 
Boca, Florida, Boca Raton, Florida, when we bought it, um, we moved it to the Midwest and a plant in, in the Midwest because that, you know, that would be central to where we were shipping product all around the country. Um, but if you're not a lot of most of the companies today, the CPG companies to get started, don't make their own product. They use co-packers that make yeah. the product for them like we do. And so we have a company that makes our product. They happen to be in Ohio. And um, so most of our spend then is really focused on marketing. And there's something called slotting, which is, you know, the, you usually for most retailers, you have to put, give them some free product at the beginning so that they would try the product. Um, and then personnel, you know, the, the burn until you get to a certain size range, you're going to lose money. And so you have to fund that, that, that burn, if you will, of, of personnel and whatnot. And so that's where most of the spend is, but marketing definitely is a big, big chunk of that. Yeah, cool. Now, thank you for, for sharing that. So you've, as we mentioned, you've kind of segued from impact investor to CEO, uh, tell us why. Why did you start your own company? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> and I ask that often, right? Um, it, it's very different. I've always had the, the desire to be on the operator side, um, but it had to be the right opportunity. And, and what I saw when I went vegan, and I went for the, the climate, as we talked about, but I was also learning about the health benefits. And so when I went that way, I really wanted to eat predominantly what I would call whole food plant-based, which is a term. And I'm not sure if they use that term in, the, yeah, yeah. in Australia, but yeah, it's yeah. certainly in the U.S. it's very big. And what frustrated me was I would walk and, and I cooked a lot as a result. And that was fine. I, I had not cooked ever before. So this was a new experience for me. and It was fun, <laughs> um, but I didn't always have time to cook. And so I'd go to the grocery store and I'd walk through the frozen aisle and look at the prepared foods. And I was just dumbfounded that I couldn't find any whole food plant-based. Everything was high in saturated fat, usually replacing animal fat with oil. Um, and while those products are taste great and I like Beyond Meat, I like some of those other ones, you really can't eat those every day. You're not going to be in a healthy state if you eat those every day. It's just not, it's too much saturated fat. And so that's what led, I saw this white space and it was very frustrating to me. So that's what led to founding the company. And I founded it with a few other um, folks and, and we hired somebody to be the outsource management to basically help us kind of guide him. And I was a board member and an investor. And as we kind of went down the road and got close, um, got into launch and we could see that the people were buying the product and really liked it and it was resonating, then it became obvious that we really needed the founder story involved. We needed somebody who lived this every day to be involved with the company. And so I was the right person. Um, it was a big leap and it was a little bit of a scary leap, but it was, uh, it's been very rewarding to, to do it. And I'm, I'm glad that I did. Wonderful. And I love that. I just want to highlight that because I think that's actually really important that um, you do need someone to be the face of the business. And typically that's often the founder because nowadays people want to know who the business is. And I'm sure you know that we are experiencing business in the past. You know, companies could get away with sort of hiding behind the brand or the company. But now people are much more interested and conscious like, well, who are you and why did you start the company? What, what it's about? So kudos to you for stepping 
forward and taking Thank that you. role because it is quite different you know being behind the scenes and, and doing all that to doing what you're doing now being on the <laughs> on the show and everything it's uh that's great thank you so yeah. can you tell us a bit about some of the challenges in in starting <clears throat> and growing a sustainable food company and I wonder if you can talk obviously from your experience as an investor but and also with your own experience um as core beans what are, what are some of the challenges um and how can they be overcome yeah those are that's a great question I think um there are some uh, some challenges that are always there, and then there are some challenges that have come up because of COVID. And and COVID has been a unique operating situation. Um, we launched just before COVID last year, and that was a little bit trying. We had um, one customer that we were going into when we launched uh, actually decided to close their business and move. It was Peapod, which was a home delivery business, and they decided just to retrenched to the East Coast. So that kind of took us out of our number one customer right out of the box. Um, and then a lot of the retail chains, the grocery chains, because it was so difficult for them to get product and keep the shelves stocked when people were hoarding product, food, they decided we don't, we're going to put all resets and new products on hold right now. We just have to keep the shelves stocked. So there was a period of time where it was very difficult to get on shelf, certainly about a six month period. So we first started going on shelf in independent stores in May, and then uh, our first big customer came on in September of 2020, which was Sprouts, which is about 360 stores. And that's been a great partnership for us. Um, we've since now grown and we're now in about 1,200 stores. We're in um, Safeway, NorCal, which is Northern California. We're in all of Wegmans um, and a lot of other independent chains around the country. So we've, we've started to gain some really good traction in 2021, but I would say that that was the, the biggest challenge that we faced. Uh, and then, you know, the, 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 the toughest thing that a brand has to do from the very beginning is build brand awareness. Who are you? How do we get the product in people's mouths so they can try it and realize, oh, wow, this tastes great and it's good for you, you know, and, and that's really the, the biggest challenge that brands face. And so that's what we've been working on you know, since the beginning. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned you had like a six months without getting onto shelves. So that's, that can be quite challenging. I can imagine for a lot of brands who maybe don't have the capital um, to do that. I know some brands I've spoken to have uh, switched to online and did an online model and were able to pivot to, um, to cover that. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting time. Certainly, as you say, COVID is, is uh, yeah, has thrown up uh, a lot of challenges. Now, why did you go with frozen wraps? It's an interesting one because I know with frozen, that's kind of got its own challenges in terms yeah. of storage. It's not like you've got a long life shelf product that, you know, lasts for months on the shelf. And, you know, as long as it doesn't get boiling hot, it's not really a problem. Whereas with frozen, you know, there's that extra risk. So curious why you decided to go with the frozen aisle. Yeah, so frozen has... Um... Got, had a real resurgence over the last five years. And the, the reason is the, the quality is so much better than it used to be. Um, the process now, IQF, which is basically cryogenic freezing, um, it's quick freezing. Um, and when you do that, you, the, the, the ice molecules are much, much smaller the faster that you freeze. And as a result, they don't break the cell membranes. They freeze inside of the, the cells. And that cr creates product that when you thaw it or cook it, it's, it say, keeps the same consistency and flavor 
that it had before. So it's much, it's a much better product. And I, I challenge, you know, I, I had kind of gone frozen with a lot of fruits and veggies before cool beans because I think they taste better. When you, if blueberries are a great example, if you thaw those overnight, frozen blueberries, they have so much more flavor than fresh. And the reason is because fresh really isn't exactly fresh. It's been traveling for three weeks from Mexico or California to wherever you are. And that means it's been sprayed with some chemicals to make it last longer, but it's, you know, it's three weeks old. And with frozen, you don't get that. It's, it's cryogenically frozen at the point of harvest, basically. Mm. And then it's good for 18 months to two years, depending on what the product is. So we really like that piece of it. And we wanted to be very clean ingredients, no preservatives. Um, and we found that we felt that frozen was the best place to participate there where you have a long shelf life, but yet have a very high quality product, clean ingredient product. Oh, thank you for sharing that. It's interesting. I, I didn't know that when you said cryogenic, I was laughing because you immediately think of cryogenics, people preserving themselves for immortality. Right. So, and that's interesting technology. And and I, I appreciate that because like, well, you know, when you said you didn't cook or anything, and I just still don't, like I've been vegan for 25 years and um, I'm a really good lunch and dinner guest because I, I love being fed. So I like ready meals. So I'm a big fan of, you know, the freezer, but I also do, you know, I like things to be quite fresh as well you know what I mean like you say you know if you put them in the freezer and six months later you don't want them to be old so that's right. really interesting that technology so that that actually makes a lot of sense um yeah so awesome and I think that's a challenge like you say to get that the or anything with a long shelf life or a long you know life in the freezer what have you and to be fresh and healthy and clean I think that's that's quite the challenge isn't it because you can throw all sorts of preservatives and nasties in um yeah. to to keep it so that's interesting cryogenic freezing wonderful wonders of technology <laughs> now sure. let's talk a little bit about retail because you, you've touched on this now retail I know can be very very challenging for brands where you know particularly food brands but often others the margins are small you know you can be dumped off shelf very quickly at a whim uh, of the retailer um, and for products that are vegan or they're ethical they're sustainable they often um, you know if, if it's not a big huge company often they can be more expensive to make so that the cost is higher so there's a lot of challenges and it can be quite hard for independent brands to compete against the big guys you know the big corporations that are bringing out their their own products can you uh, provide some tips uh, for independent brands on how to navigate retail? Yeah. So it's interesting. One of the things you said, I just wanted to kind of clarify a little bit. It's about, it's a long process to get into stores, first of all. So it's, it's nine months to a year. Oh. Um, they all have these kind of reset schedules and you're marketing to them and then they pick you up and then they're going to reset in the future. So it's about a year long process. To, to market wow. and, and even for on. someone like you who have had that experience yes. with all these other big brands interesting yeah i mean in frozen a great example whole foods is doing their um annual frozen review of products in october they won't actually set the shelves until july and of course we've been talking to whole foods people for a while you know and so it's a long long process um so that's one thing but then to clarify the other point, you, you had mentioned that they would drop you on a whim. That's not really the case. I mean, usually when you go into a retailer, you probably have about a year um, to perform. Oh, okay. And however, you have to perform. So you yeah. have to turn 
And that means your product has to move on shelf. And so you have some correction time, but uh, they're not just going to throw you out right away. But if you're not turning after a year, they're going to find somebody else because shelf space is precious. So that's a big challenge. And you've got to find ways to turn, which means you some is promotion on shelf, like doing specials so that people will try your product. Some is demoing, which can be live or digital. Um, we've chosen to do digital demoing, which means, um, and I can explain that um, in, in more detail if you're interested, but it's a different kind of process that gets people to try product. Uh, and then you've got to build brand awareness through things like podcasts or um, getting PR and written up in magazines or advertising. If you have density in certain areas, you can do some kind of advertising uh, as well. So that's that's really the key to get people to try the product and get the product moving. And I guess you've got to have that capital available because also even when you're selling, there's sometimes a delay in getting the payment um, and you've got to have the be ready and have the capacity to ship all that product. But also, like you say, yeah, have those funds available for all the right. marketing and, and promotion. You did mention I'd love you to just share a little bit about the digital demoing. So I think that's quite relevant yes. now in, in days. And I, I'm curious how that works. So I can see, obviously, you know, if you're watching someone preparing or eating it, but like, you know, I thought the whole point of demoing is people want to taste it and you can't taste it through a screen. So tell us how digital yeah. demoing works and why it's good. Yeah. So there's uh demoing is a, um, a double edged sword. You know, people love it because it gets product out there and people trying it, but it's also very, very wasteful. You know, if you stand in a, in a grocery store and try out product, probably, and let's say you try, you try out with, a hundred people during the day, only five of those are people that are likely to ever buy your product. It's very, very small. And a lot of times you've got little kids running around taking five bites and you, you can't say no, you know, you're just like, okay, yeah. Or someone and, like me taking five, oh, that vegan yeah. cheese, I'll just try that one. <laughs> exactly. So it's, um, it's very wasteful, but what digital demoing does is, uh, in particular, the company we're using is called Social Nature, and they have this cohort of people across the country that have opted in to try products based on their diet. So maybe they're keto or they're paleo or they're vegan, and they'll see products that fit that diet, and then they'll check ones that they want to try. And so not they won't get to try all those because then they've got to match up with the brand wants to send them into Sprouts, in our case or somebody else might want to send them into Whole Foods. And they've got to be within a five mile radius of that, of that store to get a coupon. And then they'll receive a coupon in the mail or digitally uh, that they can then take into the store and get a free product. Beforehand, oh. they have to fill out some insights about how they shop and where they shop, et cetera. And then on the back end, they have to fill out some insights on how easy was it to find the product? Did they like it? Would they buy it again, et cetera? And then they review the product as well. So it's been very successful. We send a group of those into, we're primarily focused on Sprouts and Wegmans and in the future we'll do Safeway as well. You got It's gotta be kind of a big chain. You can't send them to small chains because you need enough density. Um, and you get people, the, the great news is about 90% of the people that try it have never heard, have not tried it before. And for us, in our case, about 80% are saying that they would buy it again. So we're really happy with that ratio because, again, we're trying to convert people into power 
buyers, you know, people that buy the product regularly. Yeah. So, so where do you get the people? Do you are you prom- <clears throat> is that coming from um, advertising you're doing yourself, like on the Cool Beans website, or you're running social? So like how are you two, getting to the people? Yeah, there's two ways that that happens. With with social nature, they have a cohort that they've built over time. They're constantly building. They're doing advertising to bring people in and opt into this program. And so, so with, social nature is a company that does this. Yeah, socialnature.com. Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Right. Then there's other companies, um, Field Agent and, and Sample, that once you tell them where you want to send them, then they go out and sign those people up, in essence, through Facebook ads and whatnot that are looking to try products that are vegan in your area. And so then they'll go and get them. And so, we're, you know, ultimately, I think we'll probably do multiple programs. Um, in this, we've we've started with social nature during the last year, but um, it's a very good. I, I kind of hope that regular dem, in-store demoing doesn't come back because this is much to me much more effective use of dollars. Right. Um, no, it's interesting. That's really helpful. I think for, for people to to know about that. And is that the same with buyers? Because I hear of some brands, like particularly when they're starting out, they go physically to stores to buyers like uh, you know or to the stores and say look here's my product try it um so are people still doing that or could this model do you think work even with you, getting so product can, into the hands of buyers yeah that's it's a good question you can do that with small independent chains so right. independent stores where the manager in the store or the buyer in the store is making the decision but when you're talking about somebody like a Sprouts or a Whole Foods, those decisions are made by corporate offices. They're nowhere near a store. Um, and so you have to get to those buyers, usually through brokers um, that have the relationships and uh, or, or you might have a salesperson that has those relationships. But then they you, you get onto the schedule, if you will, to present right. to those buyers when Thank they're you. doing their review on an annual basis. Right. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Digital demoing. There we go. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, So in terms of Cool Beans, we touched on a little bit about funding and the need for capital. So you mentioned that Cool Beans is obviously at the moment funded by yourself and a a group of other impact um, investors. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we we did an initial raise um, and then, and that was mostly angel investment investors and impact investors. And then we're now in the process of doing a raise that'll be a little more inter- institutionally focused, um, but still a relatively small raise um, for the industry because we're still relatively small. You know, we've only been out for about 18 months now um, and we're in 1200 stores. So we're still not a big company with large revenue. Got it. That's pretty impressive though, 1200 stores within 18 months. That's, uh, that's great. Um, so in terms of, obviously you're a seasoned investor in nearly two year, decades, <coughs> excuse me, can you talk about what do you look for, you and other impactors look for? I think that the number one thing with food companies is the company, the product's got to taste great. So uh, that is always a number one priority is how does the product taste? And then you're really looking for things that are unique and different, filling what we call a white space in the industry. So a place where the company can compete at least for a while on its own. And then obviously if you're successful, there will be imitators and other people that move into the space, but you want to have a white space at least for a period of time, because that's a strategic advantage for you. Um, And then it's the team, you know, the team's really critically important. Have they done it before? 
And even if they haven't done it before, do they have the right mindset and um, um, kind of, you know, do they do they look like somebody that could resonate with consumers? Because again, that founder story is important. So you have to have kind of that um, uh, likability, if you will, with consumers that really says, yeah, I, I believe in this person and I want to try what they're selling because it's um, it solves my need if it if it tastes right and I like their mission, et cetera. So that's that's kind of the the I would say the three big factors that investors look for. Uh, and then obviously you look at all the other due diligence, which is the financial model and what are the margins and, and those kinds of things. But those other, those first three really have to hit to make people say, yes, that makes sense. So how can independent brands, we <clears throat> talked a little bit about this, such as Cool Beans, like how will you continue to stand apart from some of the bigger competitors that um, are coming into the space? Yeah. So we took this focus on um, whole foods, plant-based, or, or basically plant-based foods that are made from whole food ingredients. And right now, that's a uh, we're fairly unique in that there's a few other companies that are doing similar things in different areas of the industry. But for the most part, I think people have historically looked at this as a small niche, and it's not um, really maybe of interest or whatnot, most people have tried to replicate meat or dairy products. Uh, and I think as you, you, what we'll see, and we've already seen it growing, is that over time, those meat and dairy alternatives will bring people into the plant-based space, whether they're fully vegan or just flexitarian. Um, but when they get here, they'll want to move closer and closer to whole food ingredients that are really, truly good for you um, and good for the planet. And that's really what we're all about. And so we hope that over time, more and more people will say, yes, that's what I want to do. And again, they won't eat our product every week, every day of the week, but it, it's, it's really healthy substitutes for some part of the week. Yeah, I love that you said that. It's kind of like we can use the big company not to be threatened by them, but um, like you say, actually kind of use them in a way to help <clears throat> you know, bring people to enjoy a greater variety of food. So I, I love that take. Now, I noticed, um, Tyler, you're currently selling your, your products, obviously, in the retailers that you mentioned, um, and you're also selling them in online stores such as uh, Vegan Essentials and Instacart. I'm curious why you haven't at the moment got your online, your own online store to ship right. to direct customers. Is that something you're planning to do or have you made a strategic <clears throat> decision um, not to do that? So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a, it's with a lot of thought that we've kind of come to this conclusion. So we did sell initially when we weren't in very many stores um, online just so that we could get have an access point for people to try us. Um, however, we've stopped doing that for really two reasons. Um, and, and our mission isn't just about being really healthy food. We want to be good for the planet too. So we've, we've recently been become climate neutral certified, um, which is a certification for um, you, you calculate, calculate your um, carbon footprint and you offset that with groups that plant trees and do th things like that. Um, so that's very much our mission is being very good for the planet as well. And uh, we had, real issues with shipping frozen um, 
it's it's expensive, but we could live with the expense. I mean, it's it's just lower profits per sale, but that's fine. I, I could live with that. The problem that I had was I didn't want our company to be eco-terrorists. I didn't want to be shipping product that has a lot of packaging waste in it. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, there are companies out there that are shipping frozen product. Uh, and there's a couple really big ones. <laughs> And all of the prop packaging inside is supposedly recyclable. <laughs> the problem is the big supposedly, because unfortunately, a lot of what is recyclable isn't actually recycled. There's only like two, two types of plastic, number one and number three, that are actually recycled. And then if you start putting together cardboard and paper and combining them for internal filler and stuff like that, that doesn't get recycled because it, they don't know how to deal with it. And so um, when, at some point, somebody will figure it out and they'll make product that is truly recyclable as packaging filler. But until that point in time, we just couldn't feel good about that decision. Now, we may come out with other products that aren't frozen that would we would do through DTC, but right now we 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 haven't yet figured out how to do it without creating a big eco footprint. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. The whole packaging, I get it because I order, uh, you know, product like vegan cheeses, for example. So, of course, it's got to have, even though it's not frozen, it's still got to have, you know, stay cold. And I often think, you know, when it arrives, it's like, and I know the companies are doing the best they can with what they've got, but it's definitely um, a space that needs, um, yeah, a lot of attention um, for sure. Yeah, and so we're we're happy to partner with people like Vegan Essentials, um, GTFO Vegan, and some of those people because at least we know that there's twenty or thirty products somebody might be buying and putting together, and so the amount of packaging waste yeah. is spread over a lot of different products in a bigger order, if you will, than. I'm just buying cool beans. And, and that's a good that point. Yeah, that's a good, very good point. Yeah, appreciate you sharing that. So just tell us now, just to wrap up, um, Tyler, what are your future predictions? Because um, obviously you saw this white space, as we say, the, the healthy, the whole food plant-based um, frozen. What are your predictions of what we're, we're going to see in the future of vegan and plant-based business? Well, I'm particular? really excited about veganism in general. It's growing at just such a crazy rate. And it, and you know, people often say, oh, well, that's just not sustainable, right? And But the reality is, if you look at the population, it's so the number of vegans in the US anyway has grown from 1% to 3%, which is about 9.8 million people. Um, these are people identifying as vegan. Um, if you looked at people that are millennials, you know, kind of in that age group, it's closer to 6%. And if you look at Gen Z, it's closer to 10%. So the trend is in the right direction. And I, I honestly feel like we're going to see a point in time where, you know, 30% of the population is, is mostly plant-based. And I, I'm really excited about that. I think that's a, that'll be a great future. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I've been saying that for a long time. I'm like, I said at the beginning of my book, Vegan Ventures, it's like I'm I'm keen on getting vegan world domination, one business at a time, but very quickly. That's so um, I love that. That's good. Well, you heard it here from, from Tyler. Yeah. And what are your what are plans for Cool Beans? So, you know, you've been, been going, you know, on the shelves anyway for, for the past 18 months. Um, what's your plans or, or vision for the future? Anything that you, you'd like to share? 
Yeah. So we started with three SKUs. We've just added two two more flavors, sesame ginger and Tuscan basil that'll be coming out this oh, year. Well, that sounds uh, lovely. So we're very, we're very <laughs> excited about those. And uh, But longer term, and our goal always was to build a family of whole food plant-based products. So, you know, we'd love what, what Amy's did for vegetarian, we would love to do for whole food plant-based. And so I could see us with... Um, other products in the frozen aisle and we may actually come out with some products that are shelf stable using some technology as long as we can keep the ingredient label very clean and whole food plant-based we would look at some other uh, ideas outside of the frozen aisle as well but that's primarily and and typically we're our products are always going to revolve around high fiber foods like the bean we love we love what they do for both the environment because they sequester carbon into the soil um and what they do for humans and their health. And of course, the taste is the important thing, because I know with whole food plant-based, it's got a sort of similar reputation that veganism had in the 1970s and the 80s, do you know what I mean, with that bland kind of thing. And, and when people can see, you know, like the burgers dripping with vegan cheese, but do you know what I mean, or, you know, creamy yeah. pasta, then that, that you've got to think. And then you look at, you know, things like the beans and lentil, you've got to get over, you've got to make sure that it's great that it's clean and it's whole food plant-based, but it's really got to taste good, hasn't it, as well, which I know yeah, you certainly do. I'm looking forward to eventually tasting on it. I was looking yesterday, I was like, oh, that sounds tasty. <laughs> yeah, I wish we could get them to Australia. I don't think we can unfortunately get them. It's really difficult to ship frozen, obviously. Of but, course, um, yeah, yeah. If you ever if you ever vacation in Hawaii, we have product. We have lots of stores and Safeway stores I'll in Hawaii. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it definitely has to taste great. And we we went very flavor forward. So we we use a lot of different spices um, and then pop possibly even overboard. I mean, we if you think about spicy chipotle, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, that has a real bite to it. But um, and the sesame ginger has just a great, great, great flavor. And um, so we're, we're very flavor forward. But yes, the, you know, the 70s did have that reputation of grain burgers and things like that that tasted different. The world's very different now. Most of those products are gone from the shelf. But, uh, you know, most things out there have flavor. And then it's just a matter of are they good for you or not? And you kind of got to look at the labels and figure that out. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's a really good space that you're going into because I think we've sort of gone through um, a phase the past few years, I'm still going through it and we still will, where people it's demystifying what vegan food is. So it's people can say, oh, okay, I can have my pizza. I can have my uh, steak, you know, as vegan say, I can have my, my burger, my cheeseburger. I haven't got to give up anything. But then there's right. also the other side, which is obviously, and obviously COVID and other things have kind of put a spotlight on our health as well. And now it's kind of like, well, okay, you can do this, be healthy and it still tastes great and I think that's the space where you're in at the moment and I think as you said we'll hopefully be seeing that one grow as well so people have got choices so you can have a naughty treat you know like the, the yeah. cheeseburger now and then um, and then you can also have um, you know a whole range of whole food plant-based that you don't have to make yourself I mean I love the convenience aspect as I I mentioned earlier and I think that's a, a big market so I think it's really exciting what you're doing Tyler. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was born out of necessity because I couldn't find anything. And and uh, now now we've got it out there and, and we hope that a lot of other people see the need as well. It's great. 
Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you um, sharing your insights. It's been really great to get your your insights from both an investor um, to a CEO and particularly the, the digital demoing. So if you're watching this episode, do check out uh, eatcoolbeans.com and you can see that link scrolling along the bottom of your screen. If you're listening to the audio version of the show, that link will be on the show notes page. Tyler, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining me Thanks today. Thanks very much, Katrina. I've really enjoyed it. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. Thank you.